Welcome to the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for joining us today as we discuss biblical and theological issues relating to life and ministry. This podcast is a ministry of Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. To learn more about Central Seminary, visit our website at www.centralseminary.edu. My name is Jared, and I'll be your host. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Central Seminary Podcast. We have a special episode for you today because we have Dr. Nicholas Ellen in-house. He was here for a conference yesterday, and we interviewed his wife, and he's here today with Jeremy Steffens, and we're going to talk about biblical counseling certification and the relationship between supervisor, supervisee, is that the right word? <laughs> I'm not sure what they call me. <laughs> uh, Dr. Ellen supervises Jeremy's uh, counseling for ACBC certification. So we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit, what that looks like. Before we do, question we always like to ask is, what are you reading or what are you looking forward to reading? All right, I'll go ahead and start there. I just picked up uh, because of some conversations we're having around the uh, pastoral offices. Uh, I picked up a book by David M. Tyler through Focus Publishing, some friends of ours here in Bemidji that I'm good friends with, and it's entitled God's Funeral, Psychology, Trading the Sacred for the Secular. Hmm. And uh, I've just been really kind of thinking and meditating on the subtlety of psychology in Christians and in the Christian church. And it's a good little introduction into how some of the anthropology of psychology has trickled down into the church. So I'm enjoying reading that. Great. Sounds good. How about you, Dr. Ellis? Well, I'm working through a book called You Are Not Your Own by Alan Noble. And he kind of gives the idea that our culture is built upon the idea that we are our own. And here's the problem with believing that you can sustain and support yourself. And then he gives a biblical perspective of because we're not our own, here's how we need to function. Hmm. It's been wonderful. And I've got another book I'm working through. I'm just finishing up. It's called The Law Then and Now. And it's by John Metzger. And he does this great exposition through the Old and New Testament to help you distinguish between uh, the Mosaic Law and the New Covenant and just all the wonderful insights there. So it's been great. Great. Sounds like some good stuff. All right, let's get down to business. Uh, counseling certification. Dr. Ellen, you are a fellow with ACBC. Yes, sir. Jeremy, you are in the third phase of your ACBC certification and you two have been working together. So we're going to talk about that. Also want to just put this out there that ACBC isn't the only good place you can get certification from. Uh, there are other places. Uh, I think CCEF has one, um, Biblical Counseling Center. One of our graduates, Tim Alchin, mm -hmm. is the director there. They have a lay counselor certification program. They're also an ACBC training center. And there, there's a couple different training centers around, but want to put a, that out there. But we're talking mainly ACBC because that's the one that you guys have worked with, but there are other good ones as well. So maybe, Dr. Ellen, you could start us off by talking about what the process looks like 
when you're starting certification? What are, what are those things, uh, how, how do they appear? Sure. Part of the process is that you have to do 30 hours of listening to or watching or being a part of training where they go and you listen to teaching from understanding the difference between psychology and the Bible uh, to marriage and family and different things like that. Once you finish that training, they have some things that they want you to read, 1,000 pages of reading, uh, 300 towards theology, and then another 700 towards practical counseling. Then they have uh, observation hours where they want you to watch someone doing biblical counseling, or you can watch some videos of biblical counseling. Once those things are accomplished, then you take what they call a theology and counseling exam. And it's an open book, and you basically work through the exam. And as you work through the exam, you uh, have a theology counseling part. Once you finish, they're graded. And once they're graded, if you pass, then you move into supervision, which is where Jeremy and I are now right now. Okay. And so um, the, the reading, the watching lectures, the tests or examinations, certification, I've delved into this a little bit. I'm kind of in the middle of phase two maybe one third of the way done of my, <laughs> of my exams. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, some of it, the, the hard part is some of it I could answer, but to actually sit down and write it down, yeah, you know, yeah. like yep. some, some yep. thought. So why don't we talk about some of the benefits of certification? How does that help a counselor to pursue some sort of certification in biblical counseling? I think at the practical level, um, it teaches the counselor how to put things together. Uh, what I'd like to call it is we give you what we call a biblical theological diagnostic. We teach you how to see people and see things from a biblical perspective. And then we give you what I call a biblical theological methodology. Then we show you how to approach the things. And I think with good ACBC training, uh, like what we're talking about, this type of training uh, kind of helps you to not just get into counseling and try to figure out what to do, but to really have a basic understanding of how God has created the process of change, how God has created mankind, how people grow and change, and what strategies and structures you can use according to different phases or stages that they're in. If I can add some to that, um, the biblical counseling world takes very seriously the responsibility of every Christian to be doing discipleship and counseling with, he, with each other. Like it says in Romans 15, 4, where Paul told the Romans, you are able to instruct one another. Well, not everybody has been called to ministry like I was, like we were, went to Bible college, went to seminary, had theological training, but they are gaining a passion for the calling to disciple other people. And I think what certification offers is for those that maybe haven't been to Bible college, theologically trained, Certification is not trying to replace some of those steps by any means, but it does give somebody who maybe doesn't have an undergraduate degree an opportunity to uh, go and get some theological training, read some theolo theological works, and then look to flesh that out in, in people ministry. Are there any uh, hindrances or, or downsides to being certification or any, any pitfalls of, of being certified as a biblical counselor? You know, <laughs> that's kind of a... 
that's like asking, have you stopped beating your wife yet? I mean, that's one of those kind of questions. It's so loaded. <laughs> I mean, been off on all honesty, no. I, I, I think it is a great tool. What do you think, Jeremy? I do. It's, it's been a wonderful tool for me. If, if there is uh, maybe a, a pause, um, it would be that you have to have certification in order to do discipleship right, and biblical right. counseling. And we have to be careful that we aren't we aren't all of a sudden setting some standard that the scripture doesn't set. It's a good tool and it's useful, but get out there and start doing it. Start reading the materials even if you're not pursuing certification. Start read there's some great intro books that'll get you into the process. So I think if there's one one area we have to be careful of, it's communicating you have to do this in order to help people. That's not what the scriptures yeah. say. Right. Yep. And I would agree because, you know, we, we're not trying to make this some legalistic standard that says you're not a good biblical counselor unless you've done this. We're just saying, hey, we want to help you in what you're already doing. This is something we think could be a wonderful support to the fact that you're probably doing well in counseling without it. Yeah, and that was, Jeremy, that was exactly where my mind went. You know, one of the downsides is your attitude or approach to it. We want to be careful that we're not saying you need certification to do biblical counseling because that's kind of against the whole movement and how it started where we are competent to counsel. If you have the word of God and the Holy spirit, you can help another believer. And that's the responsibility we see in the Bible, you know, all the one another's. And so that's one, I think maybe another one on the flip side is post certification. Uh, Dr. Ellen, you described it yesterday as thinking you're a fourth member of the Trinity. You know, I have all the answers. (laughs) You you need to come to me for counseling because I, I have this. So yeah, those are some good things. Are there any hindrances or drawbacks to, or maybe that's not the right way of phrasing it, uh, is there a higher level of accountability, uh, legally speaking, if you're certified versus not being certified? For instance, say you're dealing with someone who, let's just say they're they're suicidal, and they end up taking their life, and, and maybe there's an investigation. Are you held to a higher bar? legally or judicially because you are certified versus non-certified? Not necessarily. Um, what it does do is this is where every church has to really evaluate and investigate their insurance plans. Mm. For instance, at our church, uh, the only people who can do biblical counseling at our church are those who are members. And though, so we have a protection, a liability protection that is put into an insurance plan. So this is why I can't have people come from around the country and say, hey, I just want to do biblical counseling at your church. Our insurance doesn't cover that. So I would say in order for you to do that, you need to become a member of our church and then it will cover. So um, a danger is putting yourself out there as a therapist Mm, or something of that level. The state in most cases around the country We'll not bother biblical counselors if it's in our policies and procedures that say we're doing biblical counseling according to our convictions of the scripture and the Bible and what we hold to this. They consider that more, quote unquote, religious type counseling. And so they don't bother the church. It's when the church puts themselves out there as professional therapists, that's when you can get in trouble and you have to really guard against that. So technically, it's not any more liability. I think it's how the church is established, and then how people choose to do counseling. If they're under the guardianship of their church or they're trying to go out on their own, they really have to evaluate when it's biblical counseling 
the uh, limitations and ramifications for each state mm-hmm. as far as the legalities. Yeah, that, that's good. And I'm sure you probably talk more about that in some of your advanced level counseling classes. It's the stuff you don't think of when you start going into it, right. but it's, it's really, really important. Absolutely. I kind of threw this into our discussion after I sent you our show notes or our script, and it's just something that came to my mind. So at Central, we have a Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling program, and Dr. Ellen, you're, you're part of that, uh, one of the co-directors. So what advice would you give somebody? And thinking of our listeners, we have some pastors, we have some lay people. Uh, what advice would you give people who are trying to decide what's right for them? Should I pursue an MABC in biblical counseling, or should I pursue certification in biblical counseling? How do you make that determination? Yes. (laughs) I wondered if you were going to say that. I would say to the individual that um, let's look at what's most expedient and most beneficial for them at the moment. It doesn't hurt to start with certification and then move into an MA. And it doesn't hurt if you want to start with an MA and move into certification. Mm-hmm. I think certification, uh, from my vantage point of being a professor as well as being someone in a church that's uh, supervising some of my individuals who are moving towards it, uh, if biblical counseling is more immediate for you, meaning you're not developing to move into it, thus you need more education, if it's more immediate, I would say start with the certification and then move into the Uh, master's program. If you're having some time, you don't have a a steady flow of people counseling, you're still trying to learn and develop your craft and understand more about it, then I would tell them, start with the MA and then move into certification. Because certification is really at the ultimate level. You're doing a lot of biblical counseling, and it's just very helpful to have that with you and someone to guide you through it. But if you're not doing a lot, you're just starting to learn, MA will be the best time, in my opinion. Okay. I would add to that, Jared, if a, if a young man feels he's called to ministry, my recommendation for them is to think about going into ministry in the three areas that, that God calls them to, calls them to handle the word well. So I'm going to encourage them to go to seminary, he calls them to shepherd. That's that for me, that was my biblical counseling training. Handling the world was handing the word was my MDiv. My counseling training in whatever format we're talking about helps me be a better shepherd. And so I am encouraging young men um, to, if you're, if you're heading to seminary, do your MABC, your master's in biblical counseling, and then roll some of that. There'll be some of those credits you can roll into your MDiv, but you will never regret having the shepherding training, uh, when you get out there. I remember my, my former professor, Tom Zempel, uh, used to tell the stories of all the guys that would get out of seminary. And one of the first calls they were making back to the seminary was to him. How do I counsel this person? How do I better shepherd this person? And so for that reason, I'm, I'm encouraging a, a lot of the interns that we have You really need to think about doing your MDiv. I'm sorry, your MABC and then rolling that some of those credits in. They'll ne- you'll never regret it. Yeah. And just uh, put a, a point out there about our MABC program that is, is kind of unique in talking with Dr. Williams. He's done some investigation into other MABC programs, and we're one of the only ones where in our program you get the same amount of theology courses as you do if you were to get an MDiv. Uh, we're not skimping on theology. We think theology is kind of the basis for 
the biblical counseling and knowing God so that you can know us so you can help others. And so you get the same number. I think it's 12 credit hours in the MDiv. You, you get all 12 of those in our MABC program. That's how we designed it. And that was very intentional. And we're excited about that too, honestly, yes. because that was one of the things when we were looking at um, what would be a viable MABC program. That was one of the things that I mentioned. I said, we are wanting our students to understand that biblical counseling is built upon the foundation of systematic theology. It's built upon the foundation of actually knowing your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And that if that's not solid, it's going to be difficult to do biblical counseling because, again, that is the outpouring of this. It's your practical theology coming from your biblical theology and your systematic theology. That's why I'm thankful for the certification process and its emphasis for those who have may not may not have gone to Bible college or seminary, that there is a, a heavy theological emphasis. We want you reading good theology because that is the backbone and the foundation of what you will be doing with people. So let's talk specifically about the supervision program because that's kind of the main part of, of your relationship. Uh, Dr. Ellen, when you supervise people, what are your goals for them? I mean, is it just about getting the 50 hours? It's got to be more than that. No. So, Because I know Jeremy and I talked, and <laughs> he had been doing a lot of counseling even before you guys had worked together. And I'm sure if you went by hours, Jeremy, you have way more than 50 hours. But Dr. Ellen, you have, you have more goals than that. So why don't you talk to us about that supervision process? I do. You know, most of the time when I, when I, and the reason I, I do this, I want people to really embrace the how-to, the practicality, and just as much specific practical procedures as they can. So I don't have a lot of people every year. I maybe average five to six people a year, men and women, because I want to invest in their time and their lives. I mean, we meet more than just once every blue moon. I'm meeting almost every other week with these guys. And my real goal is, again, I want them to have an understanding of, here is how you see things biblically. Now, let's do some exercises in challenging you before you counsel to do that. Okay, here's how you put things together practically. Now, let's do some exercises. If this person was with, if this person was with you, how do we make that happen? And so, for me, I want a person to walk away saying, "I can sit down with an individual. I know where to take them from the beginning, the middle, and end through counseling. I can recognize, depending on their issues, I've got a set of processes and insights from Scripture to guide this person from awareness." to being broken, to the process of change, and I have strategic ways of doing that depending on the issue. So for me, it takes more time, but that requires less students and more input. So I would average anywhere between, how can I say, six to eight months of just plowing into an individual as they're counseling. It's like I'm in the classroom or in the counseling session with them. So as we're going through each case, I'm saying, okay, did you do this? Did you do that? Consider this. And we're getting into the nitty gritty of the mechanics. And so I want my students to walk away saying, I know how to do biblical counseling mm -hmm. and I can transfer that to others. I can teach them the same process that I've learned. And so it does take a little bit more time because I ask people when they come to me, will you give me five or six weeks of pre-training before we even get to your practical counseling so that we can lay that foundation. It is definitely not with Dr. Ellen. It's not just about let's get you to your 50 hours so we can get more certified counselors out there. It, it's, it's a lot more than that. Yeah. And what, what I just point out here is what we're talking about here is, is really discipleship yeah. and mentorship and, 
the idea that every, even if you're a pastor, a man in ministry, you, you need someone to mentor you. You need someone to invest in you. And you have that built into the program where there's a relationship and Jeremy's not just out there, you know, on his own trying to figure it out. Uh, he has someone to help him. Right. And, you know, I, I feel, and, and it's in, I hate to use the word feelings, so it's going to be dangerous, <laughs> but I, I, for me, it's, it's an a ex, expansion of my shepherding. You know, I am a bivocational pastor as well as a professor. And so when I'm getting with these guys for actual supervision, it's like I'm, I'm having another parishioner that I'm looking out for shepherding to make sure they're okay. And that's kind of how I see it. And that's why I get many calls, you know, during the year, hey, can you do my supervision? I'm sorry. I have my capacity of five right now. <laughs> I can't do any more. I could, but I think it would take away from the time that I need to really invest. So what does the relationship look like? How often are you talking? Do you talk about every single counseling appointment or do you have certain ones? How, do, how does that work? We uh, are speaking as the schedule is for every week. So every Wednesday from 9 to 11, I have scheduled a uh, time where Nick and I chat. Sometimes it's 9 to 10, 9 to 11, 9 to 10.30. Sometimes it's, hey, I had this come up or he's out of the country or, you know, speaking somewhere. So it's it's fluid, but it's a regular set time. And uh, we pick one case that, I, uh, that I'm starting with. Uh, so they they want to they want to help you walk through one full case. Uh, and so so we re, we record some of the sessions in the beginning after the the pre learning the pre teaching that that uh, uh, Nicholas has brought me through, and then we speak we 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 talk about the case and uh, he's asking me questions about okay what are you what are you seeing uh, and I'm asking him what are you hearing are you hearing the same thing I'm hearing and so we have a review and I'm I'm uh, emailing him out session notes and the audios each week when we're doing recording and then we're touching base uh along the way how how what what am i seeing in the counseling am i seeing are they aware of this problem that i see uh, are they broken over it are they ready to change or where are they at in the process we talk about homework uh, what type of homework according to what stage they're in what kind of homework do they need? Do they need doctrinal homework because they have, they're not understanding the character of God? Do they need project homework? Where are they at in, in some of these different um, stages of awareness, brokenness, and change? Anything else there, Dr. Ellis? Pretty I, much cover it? I think I'm so excited. He's covered it well. <laughs> that means he's actually doing it. That's a good sign. No, no, no. But seriously, he's, 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 he hit it dead on the head, and I appreciate it. Because uh, Jeremy is a, a great, great uh, student. I think he's a great director in this. And I'm looking forward to him leading this real soon. You can cut that part out later. <laughs> you know, one thing that I appreciate is that I, I had been doing biblical counseling. I had been to ACBC conferences. I'm working through the tracks. My wife and I are working through the tracks with Faith in Lafayette. And so philosophically... There wasn't a lot that Nick had to convince me of, like, right. oh, you should really be doing this. I'm, I'm already all in on that side of things. But where I found myself struggling and talking with him and my brother Josh was, okay, how do I do this? How do I bring somebody? And, and I've, sadly, I know I've frustrated counselees because I'm trying to move them through biblical change when they haven't been aware 
that they're really part of their own problem that they came through. So Dr. Allen has really helped me slow down for one and be patient until they see their awareness, but giving me some of the how to's. I, I've I've read the I've read the books about biblical counseling and I'm I'm all on board, but this process has helped me more with the how to how do I do this and I've really appreciated that a lot. Good, great, Dr. Ellen, how do you how do you help uh, someone who's going through certification process and they're they're ready for phase three, they're ready for supervision, but they're in a situation where they're having trouble finding people to counsel. I know. For me, when I was in pastor ministry, that was one of the things that pushed me to start certification because that was uh, biblical counseling was kind of a new culture thing at the church that I was trying to push. And I had people who were going to secular Christian counselors, and I thought, well, maybe if I could get this certification, they'd be able to get realize they could get help in the church. But what do you do with someone like that who they're all in, they want to counsel, but they're just having trouble getting people to come to them. And so you know, 50 hours of biblical counseling seems like an awful lot. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I try to do with my students in that, because that is always a battle. My first step is to have them go to their pastors, because at that point, the pastors already signed off that they believe this person is capable and they have their permission, and they validated them as being one who can do counseling at the church. So my first step is to get them to get with their pastor to see if he would do a either a sign-up or just a public acknowledgement that, hey, we have you know our brother here who's, or our sister here who's doing counseling, and if you're ladies, you're interested, you can sign up. She's ready to serve you. Or, hey, we have a brother here. If you're interested, sign up. That's step one. If that doesn't go well, then my next step with them is to look at some of the Christian parachurch or the parachurch organizations around the city that may need the biblical counseling. For instance, you know, there's some people who are doing prison ministry. And as they're doing prison ministry, I would encourage them, why not sign up to see if you can qualify to go into the prison ministry with some of these individuals and offer your services? You know, or if there are other parachurch in our city, we have a place called Star of Hope. It's for the homeless. And Star of Hope is a Christian organization that's trying to really hone in on doing biblical counseling. So many of our students can go there and actually sign up, and they would allow them to work with some of those in the shelters, some of those who've just gotten off the street, and it just gives them an avenue. So my thing would be first the church and then pursuing parachurch organizations to say, are you interested? Here's what I'm trying to do. Would love to know if I could serve you in this way. That was actually my experience. There is a... a a unique and natural ebb and flow to counseling. And sometimes you're just swamped with people wanting. And then there's other times where you don't really have anybody. And so as I got into phase three, I was in one of those places where, I don't, how am I going to do these 50 hours? I'm not counseling that many people right now. Plus having to start, it's not like you can just go to somebody and say, hey, I need somebody to counsel. I need to start from the beginning and I pick you. <laughs> you know, so through Nicholas's uh, connections and network, he connected me with an online parachurch organization that I've been doing some Zoom counseling through to help the process. But they were looking for phase three uh, students uh, in their certification process to do some counseling for them. So with technology being what it is, um, I understand your question because that's, that's exactly where I was. And if you're, if you're a small town, rural church pastor, yeah, that's, that's daunting. But th there's opportunities with the, with the Zoom counseling that is, that is available these days. And, and maybe even there's 
another church nearby that has some sort of counseling center that would work with you if they know that you're, you know, like faith and practice and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, and that the online connection, Nick was the go between between me and this parachurch, and so they were already philosophically online with uh, biblical counseling, as was I. So he brought us together, um, which was it's it's been good. Now Zoom counseling is not my favorite thing to do. It's right, it's right. it's definitely different. It is not the the answer to all of biblical counseling, but uh, it is an avenue to to work through certification as well. Okay. I've got some guys right now, speaking of that, you mentioned churches where I'm working with their pastor. He wants to build a biblical counseling ministry, but he wanted to get some ideas of what it looks like. And so he's got some people in his church that were in need. I've got a couple of guys in my church that are finishing up supervision. So we have partnered up, and so we're taking some of his particular members, and they're doing the counseling for them. So that's another, and I forgot to mention that. You mentioned that. It's another opportunity. There may be some pastors out there who never really had that experience willing to work with you to try some of that with their uh, parishioners. Great, great ideas. Jeremy, I'm curious to hear from you. What's the hardest thing about supervision? Is it difficult for you to have to... I don't know if report's the right word. Report back to Dr. Ellen. Do you, do you feel like you're being micromanaged? Or is that just a blessing to come in and say, here's what I've been doing? What What's hard and what, what are some of the blessings that you've experienced? The hard part is that it's also a process of humility. So when I send off that transcript and I know that someone is going to be critiquing me and, and I've asked them to critique me, I need to be ready in my spirit to receive what it is that they have for me. Um, and that, that's, that's just me. I work through that. I pray through that and say, okay, help me be humble to learn what I need. This is not about, okay, did I impress Nick this week with what I said, but what does he have to hear me? So one of the challenges internal is I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself out there, you know, and I've been doing counseling a while. I get in. I know that I've. I get into patterns. I get into certain ways of saying things or doing things that might not be as helpful as I think they are. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one of the challenging processes is just making sure that I'm bringing a humble heart to the certification process. Not as if I have all the answers, no matter how long I've been doing it. But I'm ready to hear and listen. Um, Nick has been wonderful. Uh, I don't even think of it as critiquing. Uh, it's encouraging for him, as I, as I heard somebody recently say, his supervisor said, I'm hearing what you're hearing. You're hearing the right things. You're, you're hearing, we're, we're hearing the same thing. And he explained the certification process as like when his dad uh, taught him how to ride a bike. And as he's running alongside him, he knew his dad was there holding on. He knew his dad was going to let go at some point, but he was he was secure and comfortable. And and in that in that uh, his dad holding on to that bike. That's a little bit what when he said that to me, I was like, that's a that's a good illustration. So I think it's just what I bring to the table. Am I going to bring you know a prideful I know what I'm doing, or am I going to come be ready to listen and hear, knowing that somebody. Uh, it has been doing this a little longer than me. And even if we were doing it the same amount of time, he, God has led him in different ways to, to help me. Great. Anything else you guys want to say about certification or supervision? I just think it's a wonderful tool for people who want to really hone in on the craft of biblical counseling. And I'm excited that God gave us the opportunity to be able to do something like this with an organization that sees the value of it. And I agree with you. I mean, there are others who are doing it. It's just a wonderful thing to sit with someone and 
allow them to teach you as well as you teach them and to develop. Because one of the things I do appreciate uh, about Jeremy and his process is I've given him basic understanding of homework and ideas. He brings back ideas, and I think, man, those are great ideas. I want to use that as well. So for me, it's great when you can have that shared thing where, yes, I'm giving you something, but yet there's something I'm receiving back and that you're thinking this process through. You're adding to this and making it bigger and better. And so I just think it's a wonderful dynamic when two people can work together and really see how God can use them in the field of biblical counseling as they both bring something to the table to work together on. It has also given me another friend and brother in the ministry and a brother that I can call, not just someone who is getting me through certification, but I know that for years to come, I can call and say, hey, I'm working through this marriage situation, or I've got this counseling case. Here's what I'm doing. Can I bounce some things off you? We were just doing that this morning over coffee. Well, I was having coffee. You're not old enough for coffee yet. <laughs> but uh, we were, I was just, I was just walking through some things. Here's what I'm thinking. You know, that that's not, I know that that's not going to stop because the certification process is over. And so to gain a new friend and brother and the expansion of my ministry and someone else that I can lean on, uh, in the Titus 2, old or younger, I, I'm super excited about that. It's it's a blessing that God has, has given me in my life. Great. And, and I know I mentioned this before, but I would just bring it up again. This is not just something for counseling. You know, the, the t- Timothy, Titus, Paul, yeah. all that stuff. This is something that we all need people in our Absolutely. lives, even if you're... Maybe you're not going through certification, but you're, you're a pastor. You need older men in ministry that, that you can call up on the phone and say, hey, I'm going through this. And I know for me, those men in my life have been a lifesaver to call up older pastors who have yeah. more experience, who've gone through this and say, hey, man, I'm dealing with this. And, you know, they'd be like, oh, oh, yeah, I know that person. I've had that person in my church. Uh, and so what we're really encouraging here is is not just biblical counseling supervision. It's having friends and partners in ministry, having someone that can mentor you and someone that you can invest in. Dr. Les Olala, who was at Northland when I was there, used to say, everybody needs a Paul, a pattern, a Timothy, a peer, and a Barnabas, a peer, and a Timothy, a project. That's good. And I think that's uh, so important, and that's what you see through this process, but it's important in so many areas of ministry as well. I just hope that Dr. Ellison doesn't look at me as his project. (laughs) (laughs) As long as you don't call me old. (laughs) There we go. Well, one question we like to close our podcast with is just to ask for some works of God, something that you've seen God doing in your life or your family's life or your church's life, and you just want to take a moment to praise him for that. I thank God. Uh, I'm watching my family take shape. We, you know, over the years had some uh, challenges with our daughters as we were not sure where they stood with the Lord. And what I've seen over the last two or three years is a transformation of some young girls who are proving by their life the fruit that they actually belong to Jesus Christ and they're showing a heart for service and ministry. That right there. To me, it's just an awesome praise report to see my girls really love God, love other people, and see the fruit from that. It's just, for me, that's a praise report. For others, they may take that for granted, but for me, it is just an amazing thing to see right now. Hmm. Great. I would, I was going to echo almost that exact same thing before uh, he mentioned it. The, 
the sovereignty of God as I look in him, look at, at God controlling my family. Oh, I have a daughter that's getting married now next year, next summer. Uh, I have a second daughter in college, and our life is changing in, in many different ways. Uh, to go from five kids in the house to three is a big difference. And uh, just knowing that no matter what changes and how it's going to change, it was all planned. There's such a comfort in that to be able to rest in the sovereignty of God. Great. Thank you, man, for sharing that. And thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Thank Glad you for to having be me. Here. Next time on the Central Seminary Podcast. There are three ledges you can drop off when it comes to the, the Trinity. So it seems the development of the Trinitarian language is a continuation of what's already happening within Scripture. Theological debates through history have been about how we interpret the words of Scripture. I'd, I'd prefer that you had the voice of the Holy Spirit in okay. your head. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the language of, let's say, Trinitarian has to get away from that. And what I want to know is, why are we still calling this the Central Seminary Podcast? Why don't we have a real name for it? So you kind of got into some form of quasi- modalism. I do think that the Trinitarian debates going on are going on at a, at a fairly deep level within Trinitarian doctrinal development and, and terminologies being used. Who are the three people that visit Abram? And it's, it's not a solution just to say, I don't take your passage because I've got this other passage that looks like it says something different. So I think that was where I got the terminology that kind of helped me to distinguish what does Trinitarianism mean? The question was, what do you do with the Incarnation? And then later on, what do you do with Pentecost? How do we interpret Scripture as Scripture should be interpreted? If you can't distinguish them, you don't have a Trinity. You have a abinity, was what, what Kevin's term was. So how can we have a Father who is God and a Son who is God, but we've still only got one God? Look for our next episode on the Central Seminary Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Seminary Podcast. Our mission at Central Seminary is to assist New Testament churches in equipping spiritual leaders for Christ-exalting biblical ministry. Since its founding in 1956, Central Seminary has sought to provide serious students of God's Word with robust theological education as they prepare for ministry. We have many graduates around the world who are serving in countless ways to spread the gospel and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Find out more at our website, centralseminary.edu.